Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of On Air with Aaron. There's not going to be a whole lot of gaming news during this one because I wanted this episode to mostly be talking about two different anime, or technically one anime and one manga, because I'm going to be talking about Dr. Stone Season 2 and the last chapter of Attack on Titan. Now, both of those are going to be during a Rant or Rave segment, but there's going to be two Rant or Rave segments, which I know it's crazy, kind of switching up the formula. Um, the first one's going to be the Dr. Stone one, and the second one is just going to be talking about the last chapter of Attack on Titan. Because last episode I talked about Attack on Titan in a Rant or Rave, but that was just Season 4 Part 1 and where the manga was at that time. But a couple days after I posted that, the last chapter came out, so I decided to make one where I'm just kind of sending off Attack on Titan and uh, pretty much being the only time that I will talk about Attack on Titan until Season 4 Part 2 finishes, or maybe the first episode, depending on how it was, and I might just want to talk about it. But regardless, things have been going pretty good. At the time of this recording, I have a crew battle for Sac State um, for the Smash team. We have two games coming up tonight. Uh, so if we win the first game, then we move on to the next game. And then if we win that, we're going to be in, I think, the quarterfinals or semifinals for the ECAT crew battles. So be sure to go check me out on YouTube at Argon Games. That's where all the VODs are. That's where the streams will be held. And I'd love to see you guys all there. Because um, it's going to be fun. It's It's been a really good season so far. But regardless, let's get into the news this week. So there's only going to be one thing that I want to talk about. Uh, just because it's, it's one piece of news. But it also might have some further implications for the gaming industry moving forward. And that is The Last of Us is getting a remake. Now, if you've been around the gaming community for any semblance of time... You've heard of The Last of Us. Now, it's a very popular story-driven PlayStation exclusive that focuses around zombie apocalypse, post-apocalyptic stuff, sort of banking off the success when it came out in 2013 of the whole zombie apocalypse sort of theme with The Walking Dead series, uh, game and TV series, comic books, all of the big things that were coming out zombie-related at that time. But regardless, it was one of the biggest things that has happened in terms of video games in the past decade. It came out in 2013, as I said, and still looks good, even to today's standards, to be completely honest. Um, I had a friend who was playing, Grant, I think he was playing the remaster that came out on the, the PS4. But even at that, the original version still looks good. Obviously not as good as Last of Us 2, which came out um, a year ago. But it was still a very visually stunning game, especially for the time. And it got a remaster back in 2014, I think, for the PS4. And now it's getting a remake seven years later. It's unclear when this remake is actually going to come out and when it's going to be released. Because it was kind of just announced. Like, oh, hey, we're going to be remaking this game. And there's not really anything else to go off of more from there. Um, but... What? <laughs> it seems kind of weird that they're remaking a game that one is hugely successful, like one of, as I said, one of the most popular and best rated games in the past decade. It had a sequel that even though some people had some problems, you have to admit that it did have huge press coverage and did receive a lot of accolades. 
And the game itself has like a game of the year edition, a remaster, and overall just big acclimates. And they're remaking it? I didn't play or watch the first game, so I don't know if there was some glaring issues with the first game or it actually doesn't look as good as I think it did. But it sets a really weird precedence in my eye for gaming, remaking a game that's only eight years old and still looked good and was massively popular and is still massively popular. I mean, heck, I'm pretty sure there's still people playing that game because they didn't play it when it first came out or, or anything. But what do I mean by saying it has weird implications or precedents for the future of gaming? Let's take another PlayStation exclusive that was remastered. Final Fantasy VII. Now that's one of the most popular and beloved Final Fantasy games and even JRPGs that's come out within the past couple decades. And the first game came out in 1997, I believe. And it didn't get a remake until it was announced in 2015, but it didn't come out until 2020. So 23 years later, one of the most beloved Final Fantasy games, one of the most beloved JRPGs, got a remake. And The Last of Us has been out for eight years and it's getting a remake. You see what I'm saying? It seems kind of weird that they're taking a game that's fairly recent and remaking it. Now, I'm a little bit worried as to the precedent it's going to set because take any other game that was popular back in 2013, 2014 that still looks good to this day and it being remade. I'm drawing a lot of comparisons between sort of the, uh, the movie film entertainment industry overall with its obsession of bringing back old franchises and sort of live action reboots, I guess is the phrase you could call it, of classics. You know, Disney's one of the biggest proprietors of this where they're doing live action remakes of things that don't really need a live action remake. I mean, heck, I think the, the, the biggest microcosm of it is when they did the, the Lion King. It's like, that wasn't live action. That was still animated. Granted, it was realistic, but it was still animated. That's not live action. So it's kind of weird. Even though I watched the um, the Aladdin live action remake and I did enjoy it for what it was, it definitely had its own charm. There wasn't really a reason to remake it. You know, same with Jungle Book. There wasn't really a reason to remake these. Now, the Christopher Robin one that came out a few years ago, that one I actually didn't mind because it told a different story. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, the Hundred Acre Woods. It's It was telling Christopher Robin grown up and sort of him becoming an adult and forgetting Pooh and Piglet and all of the characters. That had its own story to it, and I really liked that. I thought that was actually a good way to implement a beloved franchise into this formula of the live action that's been so dreaded within the past few years because it tells a new story. And I, and I think they, they need to do more of that instead of just retelling the old story. Cause I didn't see the lion King one, but my brother did. And he said, yeah, it's just the lion King, but with a more realistic sort of look to it, which I think is just kind of cheap. So relating this back to gaming, I don't like what this might set. Because, for example, 
I am a huge fan of Breath of the Wild. Like, that is one of my favorite games and definitely one of my top three Switch games ever. As much as I loved that game, if they announced in 2025 that they were going to remake Breath of the Wild, I would not, I would not be happy. Now, I'm really excited for the Breath of the Wild sequel because it is probably going to take a lot of the love and mechanics that people enjoyed from the first Breath of the Wild and put it into a new scenario with a new story, probably new characters and whatnot. But if they were to just straight up remake Breath of the Wild, I wouldn't really like that because it it takes away resources, it takes away time from them developing something new and something unique, and even if it's not anything that's groundbreaking, like just a new mainline game, that is way more beneficial in my eyes than just remaking an old game and trying to bank off of that nostalgia. Because as much as we like to dog on the Pokemon games, like even though they kind of are doing the same thing, at least you know it's a new region with new Pokemon. It's going to follow the same format, but at least it's new. It would be like, instead of them coming out with a mainline series game, they would just remaster old games. Which, yeah, they do that in the Pokemon franchise. I'm not going to deny that. They do, but they also release new games. You know, they've released Pokemon Go, which I know that's not technically a mainline game, but it is a Pokemon thing nonetheless. They're releasing Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Legends, the Diamond and Pearl remakes. They're probably going to be releasing something, either a sequel to, uh, not necessarily a sequel, but like another mainline game. Like They're going to be coming out with all these new things. But with this idea of The Last of Us getting a remake, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just a little dumbfounded. Like, nothing has been stated about what this remake is going to be. And fans are really upset because they've wanted things for uh, more continuations for the Uncharted series and even a sequel to Days Gone. The fans have asked for that, but they're like, no, we're just going to remake The Last of Us. And it's not even just The Last of Us doing this uh, that would upset me. It's just the idea, you know, kind of like what I was saying with Breath of the Wild. It just seems like a very weird, very weird business model, really, to, uh, to follow. Now... Along with this, supposedly it was announced a while ago that there's going to be some Last of Us multiplayer game in the future. Nothing's really been elaborated on that, so I don't know if that's going to be included with this Last of Us remake, which if that's the case and the multiplayer is way more extensive, then I guess it's a little bit more lenient. Uh, I'd care a little bit less, but from what it sounds, the Last of Us multiplayer is going to be a standalone, meaning that you obviously can just buy that and then buy the remake. And the remake's obviously going to be full price. Everyone knows that. But we don't know anything about either one. So obviously a lot of this is just all speculation. But from what we know, I'm a little bit worried. Because I, 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 don't, I don't want the new idea of gaming to be what they're doing in the film industry now. Where it's just kind of like, oh, remember that one thing that we had was successful? Yeah, let's only do that. In fact, let's not even try to build off that. Let's just remake it. People will buy it. So I really hope that people either won't buy this or it'll be something way better that will set a better precedence for the future of games and stuff in the industry. Okay, and with that being said, that's going to be it for the gaming news portion this week. As I had mentioned, there wasn't really a whole lot that I could find that was interesting this week to talk about. Um, so that's pretty much it. But I do think it's an important topic to discuss because... The sort of 
world of gaming recently has been falling into this this interesting category and i don't want things like this <clears throat> if it's as bad as i'm thinking to be the norm and I, and I don't want it to escalate further from this anywho so let's transition into our rant or rave segments with the first one talking about dr stone season two or dr stone stone wars whatever you want to call it but i'll be referring it to it mostly as season two throughout this portion but let's get right into it so if you were unaware dr stone is an anime that i have described in many different lights to my friends uh, i've described it as minecraft but new game plus bill nye but for weebs there's a lot of different ways that you can describe dr stone but essentially the base premise of the show is one day humanity just got turned to stone like there was this green light that emitted and everyone turned to stone everyone that was on earth and then uh 3700 years later a kid named senku broke out of his stone encasement and find found a way to basically free everyone by using uh bat fluids to basically reverse the stone effect uh, he revived his best friend Taiju, and he also revived this this guy named Shishio Sukasa, or Sukasa, however you pronounce it. I'll be referring to him as Sukasa throughout this whole thing. So <clears throat> he is known as the strongest primate high schooler, which, by the way, is probably the best title that anyone could ever be given. I mean, what 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 is that title, <laughs> the strongest primate high schooler? But anyway, he's an incredibly strong guy. Literally kills a lion with his bare hands, because why not? <clears throat> and Tsukasa has this ideal of reviving humanity, except for the old people. He wants to revive the young and the strong, the impressionable minds, all of that stuff, because he believes that the older people have basically tainted society, and only the young can replenish it. While Senku wants to use the power of science to revive all of humanity, no matter their age, location, or anything. So, of course, this creates the central conflict, and then... Uh, Sukasa and Senku fight. Sukasa quote unquote kills Senku, and then uh, Senku basically escapes because he didn't actually die. There was something with like the stone. Uh, he had one on his neck and was able to be like revived. Um, and Senku found a village, and uh, he basically introduced science to them and created like a more modern-ish society, and basically. Season 1 ended with Senku declaring war on Tsukasa and basically saying this is the beginning of the Stone Wars, which is what Season 2 was. Obviously, a lot more happened within there, but just as in terms of a brief summary, that's pretty much all we need to know about it. So overall impressions, I'm going to start with the openings and the closings for the season. I think they were really good. Dr. Stone kind of has its own brand of anime openings, in my opinion, because they are good songs. That they're rocking, they're, they're sort of moving, but they're not absolute hardcore bangers that are, you know, meant to fit like a battle anime. Um, but it's also not a more low-key opening as you would find in like a romance slice of life or a more low-key anime. They're kind of just basic rock openings like the first opening was definitely the most moving i'd say out of the openings just because it was uh, it had a lot going on like a lot of drum emphasis and guitar stuff um the second opening was really good i love that opening 
in the third opening is really good, but it definitely feels more of that kind of relaxed vibe where it's not hardcore, but it's also not super chill. Um, but I really liked it. It really kind of sets the tone for the series. Um, the openings that is, uh, and, and this opening, the third opening was really good. I definitely liked the song. The animation was very good. Uh, there's like that scene where, uh, Gen is like singing along with the, uh, the words, obviously hinting at when he's going to be singing in the, in the show. And I thought it was really good. It had, it had uh, a lot of visually cool parts. Of course, anything, not anything too insane with animation, just because their openings aren't, you know, super like animation heavy, like, oh, wow, look at this really crazy, cool animation thing. Um, and the ending was really good. They have really good transitions. The Dr. Stone endings are phenomenal. Uh, and this one was no exception. It had a really cool transition where it was like, uh, you know, the idea of evolution where it's like monkey transforming into man. And then it flashed to Senku as a kid, then growing up. I thought that was a really cool <clears throat> sort of progression, little artistic thing. Uh, and, and it played out really well. And it was only 11 episodes, so we only got one opening and one closing. Which, I'll talk about more about the episode length in general, uh, and in more specific terms later on. Uh, so, a little unfortunate that we weren't able to get two so we could compare them, kind of like how we could last season. Because, personally, I think um, ending one was the best, and opening two was the best, uh, relative to their things. But anyway... Before I proceed further with parts that I really liked, and I'm going to talk more about it, I wanted to, of course, give a spoiler warning, because I will be talking about Season 2 more in-depth, not to a crazy four-hour-long analysis effect, but I will be talking a little bit more about it and, and mentioning things that happen in the season. So if you have not watched it, then I suggest you scroll away now. Alright, with that being said, let's talk about the things that I thought were really strong about Dr. Stone Season 2. So first, we have the idea that it kept the heart and love that Season 1 did with the science and character interactions. I think one of the biggest capturing points for Dr. Stone, and I really don't even think this is a hot take, is its scientific introductions. That was one of the biggest sort of appeal points with things like uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy, where... Yeah, science can be kind of boring if it's just taught out of a book, but let me show you something entertaining. Let me show you something fun. Let's have a little graphic to go along with it. And that's Dr. Stone in a nutshell. They'll take something that's fairly convoluted like cell phones or Bluetooth or, um, you know, uh, what's the thing called? Like record players. And they'll just explain it in a very silly way that has the characters react exactly how the characters would react if those characters were real and i think they did an incredible job of that in season two albeit they had a lot of science things way less than season one just because one it's half the length of season one and two season one really was there to prove senku's um you know, his talent and his uh his, his grit with science work Whereas season two was focusing more on sort of the conflict with Tsukasa and sort of his empire. We did see a couple scenes though, like where they laid out the um, sort of the flow charts, if you will, of what Senku and his group are going to be doing with like building the tank and uh, building all these things. So I think that was really strong. Um, and, and it certainly, it certainly 
harkened back to that charm that season one had where it's like, hey, science thing, and we're going to explain it and show you something that you can do at home and sort of understand how the science behind it works. The science aspects inside of this season definitely felt chronologically very natural, where the first couple science experiments that Senku did were, you know, obviously a lot more practical for survival and stuff, you know, with uh, his things with, with cooking foods and his things with, like, building certain things that'll get them sort of off their feet. But now we're transitioning into sort of the... Uh, the more advanced, you know, sort of getting out of the Stone Age sort of materials. And I think it's progressing really, really well with that. And the character interactions, the uh, the point along with uh, the, the science stuff, uh, the science along with the character interactions, I think has been really strong, uh, both in season one and season two. Uh, you, you know, with introducing the, the new forms of science, like at the ending scene of season two, or I don't know if it's the ending scene, but like in the last episode, where the, the Sukasa Empire and Senku's sort of science organization have pretty much combined, and the uh, the old man was teaching them how to do the crafts and all that stuff, uh, and like building the mechanisms. I think that played out really well and sort of adds to the characters feeling realistic because unfortunately a lot of the times when it comes to certain shows the side characters get sort of overshadowed by the main character because the story is just revolving around the main character which in terms of the main character is obviously fine but in terms of the world and the side characters it feels a little lackluster but dr stone definitely doesn't suffer from that i would definitely like to see more from the side characters but i think we already kind of get that with gen like i don't want to say gen is as much of the main character as senku is but he's definitely a top secondary character like he couldn't obviously take the mantle of Senku if, like, Senku were to die or anything. I don't think, at least yet, just because he doesn't know the science behind everything. He just kind of is specialized in a specific task. And I think that's kind of the idea that, um, you know, Dr. Stone is trying to show, where it's like, yeah, we're a civilization. You know, we have people that are doing different tasks. We have people that specialize in different fields. Like Senku is really smart. He can work well with his hands. He knows all the science behind the things and he's the best leader. But Gen kind of understands just people. He knows how to trick people. He knows how to play them. And he's obviously good at impersonations, which comes in handy a little bit in season two with uh, him impersonating a... Uh, was it Lillian Weinberg? Uh, is that what her name was? Yeah, I think that's what her name was. Um, so it's, you know, him impersonating her kind of like shows his skill at that. Senku couldn't do that. Chrome couldn't do that because they all have their own roles. And I think they do that really well. Uh, and especially for people that don't have like a specific role, like um, the, uh, the one girl with the melon on her head, I forget her name. Uh, you know, she's kind of just in a way like, a lackey and she's really small so she can kind of hide out she did in the in season two um so it's like even if they don't have a specific role like oh i'm the carpenter it's like they all help out and they all do something and they work together as a society and even in the final battle when they left the old people all said you know we can't go like we're fragile and we're old and they felt really bad about it because they felt they weren't contributing which is an incredible thing that dr stone does well with humanizing the side cast 
Um, the next point, uh, the second point, is the natural progression and conflict between Senku and Tsukasa and how it resolved and played out beautifully throughout the season. Tsukasa was one of the first characters introduced in Season 1 and is was clearly the main antagonist um, up until now for the series. And they played it out really, really well. Because I wouldn't necessarily classify Tsukasa as a bad guy. He just had motivations to help him protect his sister. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what he wanted. To revive his sister, bring her back into a world that was going to be safe and ideal for them to live in. And he went about it kind of a questionable way. But, you know, it makes sense that he sort of accepted Senku and Senku sort of bonded with him and realized that it's like, I can help you out and no one has to die. Like, you don't have to kill us. I can bring your sister back and we can help everyone out. And Tsukasa realizes that and he... I don't want to say he changes his ideas, but he gets awoken to these ideas and, and like how it's a better way than he decided, but he didn't know the best way to go about it. And I think it sets up really well for the character of, uh, of, of Hyoga and sort of his like, how do I phrase it? Sort of his fall with trusting Tsukasa and then, you know, thinking that he betrayed him. Like, how could you turn against me? You know, I, I wanted to go with someone who was strong and you're not strong and blah, blah, all that stuff. So it sets up Tsukasa's sort of arc very, very well. And then, of course, it becomes bittersweet at the end because his sister, um, Mirai, I think that's what her name is, um, she gets revived, of course, and she's totally fine. Everything's good. But then Tsukasa takes a fatal blow by Hyoga and is going to die, but they cryogenically freeze him until they can, like, find a way to <laughs> bring him back to life. So I don't know how the heck that's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. But th that's certainly an interesting story idea that I'm, I'm excited to see play out because I don't think there's been anything that Senku's tried to do that he's failed at yet, to be completely honest. Because um, even he cheated death, which is like, if that's not plot armor, I don't know what the heck is. Um... But I think the progression of them was really good. And especially that last scene with Tsukasa where he, you know, like dies and he's talking to Senku and Senku's trying to stay stoic and talk to him and distract and be his normal self. But it's clear that his emotions are getting to him. And I think that's something people tend to forget with this series because Senku, yeah, is like this all knowing being, if you want to call it that he's super smart with science. He knows what to do and he appears stoic, but he's a human. You know, let alone he's a teenager. Okay, technically he's like 3,700 years old, but he is a teenager. He has those emotions. Of course he's going to feel sad and he's going to feel happy and overwhelmed with emotions when he finally hears his best friend's voice after so many years. You know, he's going to he's gonna feel sad when uh, Tsukasa, someone who was lost and then found, has a realization and then basically dies and is going to be gone for how many ever years. You know, he shows these emotions and we see that... Also in season one again, when uh, they're playing the stuff with his dad and when he's learning about the stuff and visits his dad's grave, he's human. He has emotions. And it does. the show does a really good job of um, progressing Senku and showing that he is a very smart character that can almost single-handedly save humanity with his science alone, but he himself is not alone and he doesn't want to be. And I think they do a really good job of covering that. The third point is good flow with episodes and it didn't feel cramped. Uh, even with the episode count. That's another really strong thing that I think Dr. Stone did. Because even though it was 11 episodes, 
I did not feel rushed at all watching it. Um, maybe some things could have been played out a little bit longer, but even at that, I think for the story that they're telling and the overall pacing of the show, I think it played out really well. Because if this would have been 24 episodes and they covered the same material, I feel that it would have dragged and it wouldn't have been as good as it is in 11 episodes, just kind of like, hey, here, boom. Um, it's a little unfortunate that it had to be 11 episodes, though, because I know why they are because of the next arc that's going to be coming up with, you know, like the 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 One Piece arc, I'm going to call it, where it's like they're traveling onto the sea to find out, like, who did the, uh, the, the stoning or whatever you want to call it. I'll, I'll discuss that later. Um, but nothing felt rushed or crammed at all. Uh... Every episode kind of came to a satisfying conclusion and it was enjoyable from start to finish because as much as it's nice to like binge a series because you'll always have something to watch and if a, if an arc leaves you on a cliffhanger, you can just watch the next episode. It's kind of unfortunate because at least I watch a lot of the stuff on my brother's Xbox or my PS5. So it's like, it's, it's a little unfortunate watching uh, like binging a series because you have to constantly keep your controller on, fast forward between the the openings and the closings, just because even though they're good, you can't watch them, you know, 400 times or 700 times or something, and you got to skip through them. But that's what's nice about watching it weekly, and especially something like Dr. Stone, where it's like, I just turn off the controller once I click on the episode, because the opening's good, the intro's good, the episodes are really good, the ending's great, and like the post scene, the post scenes in Dr. Stone aren't really anything, they just show the title of the next episode. But still, it's it's enjoyable. It's a nice, like, 25-minute sit-down experience. So, they did a good job with the overall flow of this season. Uh, and I can't give them enough praise for that. The fourth point is animation being beautiful. Shout out to TMS Entertainment. And the character designs being awesome. So, the animation, along with the, uh, the art design is very distinctive, and I love that. In a lot of other older anime, especially like 2000s or like even 2010s, you can kind of just cut a character out of that show and put them in another show, and you really wouldn't even notice unless you've seen both of them. Whereas Dr. Stone, they have their own unique design. Like, yeah, they, they, they take similar tropes from, uh, from other anime, like, oh, the big eyes, the small mouth, the you know, X random trope or design element here. But the characters, like if someone was to draw Senku in any other art style, you'd be able to tell it was Senku, but it wouldn't look like Dr. Stone's Senku. You know what I mean? And I think that applies to every character, really. Uh, even even some of the characters with like, huh, character designs, like that one dude with the orange hair, his, his character design is kind of cool, but what is with his hair? You know, it's the same with same with a uh, uh, Homura. I think her name is like what what is up with her character design? <laughs> she looks like straight out of Flintstones. But anyway, regardless of whether or not someone likes that specific character design, it's distinct nonetheless. And the animation, the fight with Sukasa and um, the Sukasa Senku and uh, versus Hyoga was really good. Obviously, it, it couldn't be as well drawn out and choreographed as like a Jujutsu Kaisen fight because that's not the point of Dr. Stone. But for what the studio is, I think they did a darn good job. And that overall fight played out well with the theme really of the show and the play out of it. 
the animation still was great. It didn't feel any different than season one, which is great because if an if a studio changes, it can sometimes be very bad. Uh, even if the studio improves on the design, it might look a little bit weird just relative to the first few seasons. <clears throat> but regardless, I can't give the animation enough credit because they did really good things. I, I can't remember any bits of animation from it that just kind of made me go, huh? What the heck was that? I can't think of any right now. Um, and again, the character designs, phenomenal even the new characters. I like how they have sort of that gruntish caveman design for a lot of Sukasa's army. Cause it just kind of makes sense. Like if they look like that, then of course Sukasa would, um, would revive them because they're just big beefy idiot dudes. And that, that just makes sense that he would revive them. Uh, and then of course, some of the other characters, like the, the woman who was the journalist, you know, that makes sense as to why he would revive, uh, her. And then same with like Hyoga, so a lot of the character designs just, just fit the universe and kind of fit the idea of the character that they're trying to show you, you know, like the old people being really small is obviously a play on the whole idea of if when, when you get older, you shrink in size, they're like, it's like a play on that. And then the, the old man, I love that guy so much. Like, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the old kind of craft craftsman, I don't know what you would call it. Like the. The dude who makes all the machines, pretty much. I love him so much. It was a headcanon in one of my D and D campaigns that it's that's what that's exactly what my character looks like. He's a he's like a, a a hill dwarf cleric, and I said, yeah, that's exactly what my character looks like. So, you know, he's just an enjoyable character, and he's a lot of fun. But his design is great too. You know, the characters don't really look the same unless, of course, they're related or they're from a specific like lineage i guess you could call it uh the last point that i i want to talk about for the strong points was hilarious moments that were entertaining and informative the whole appeal of dr stone isn't the fights or really anything other than the science and the entertainment it's just supposed to be an anime that shows you like hey if humanity did this and there was one really smart guy this is the story. And I think that's a really good story to go on. And they throw in these hilarious moments that sometimes they seem a little bit over the top. Like when the characters just scream back and forth. Especially during the scenes where uh, where it was like Gen, Magma, and uh, Chrome were like trying to run away from Ukyo, the, the, the boat, the, the archer who had incredible hearing. It's like, why are you guys screaming? He can hear you, but it like never played into the plot at all. So I think that's funny and it adds to the charm of it because you're supposed to take Dr. Stone seriously, but you're not supposed to, you're not going to look under the same critical lens of Dr. Stone that you would like, you know, Death Note or Attack on Titan where it's like one little thing and they're like, oh, that breaks canon. That, that, that wouldn't make sense in the universe. <clears throat> it's just supposed to be like an enjoyable, like Saturday morning cartoon with a pretty easy to follow storyline. Uh, and those hilarious moments, those comedic reliefs were definitely placed very well and were pretty much the bulk of the show. So I think they did a very good job with that. And of course, the informative side of Dr. Stone cannot be understated about because seriously, when, when I first watched it, when season one was coming out, I was up at the dorms in my school living with a couple friends in our dorm apartment. And when that scene came out, 
about uh, Senku saying, hey, if you want to get like the smell of Coca-Cola, just take cilantro and rub it in some lime and you will be able to smell Coca-Cola. I was like, you're an idiot. So we got tacos that came with a lime and cilantro. So I took I took the cilantro and I rubbed the lime on it, squirted some on there, and I smelled it. And I said, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that works. And that's correct. And it, it's sort of kind of just like, I don't know the proper term, but it's sort of the things that you would bring up as like a fun fact when you're meeting new people. Like, oh shit, well, did you know this, this, and that? It's like, whoa, that's so cool. And little do they know that you learned it from Dr. Stone. <laughs> Um, but a lot of the things really do help like with the science terms and whatnot, cause they do it in a palatable way. Cause even when Senku goes into his crazy science, uh, explanations, they'll say, okay, Senku, we're not following you. So speak in simple terms. And then he does, which is great for the audience, but also for the characters. So it fits really, really nice. So those are the five main strong parts that I really liked from this season. Some of them sort of like melted together, just where my train of thought was going, <clears throat> but I thought overall it was just really good. It, it, it overall was a great, enjoyable season, uh, and leads well into the next season of Dr. Stone, which I'll talk briefly about cause I don't really know anything. I haven't read the manga. I don't know if I'm going to read the manga. I'm going to start reading the Jujutsu Kaisen manga, especially once school starts dying down. Um, just cause I keep getting things almost spoiled for me just cause of YouTubers I watch and stuff. But, anywho, the teaser that we saw at the end of Season 2 was them building basically pirate ships, dressing like pirates, and traveling across the sea to the origin of where the the stoning comes from. I can't think of the right word to call it. I'm just going to call it the stoning, um, where it came from. And from what we see, it's this guy who's covered in stone, and it looks like he's like snapping or holding his fingers together or something. So it's possible that he did it or she did it. I, I don't know exactly, but it's possible that they were the ones responsible of the stoning. And we're probably going to get a little bit more information about what exactly that's supposed to mean and who that person is. Um, Cause we're obviously going to have to see how the group's going to find out that was the person. Cause obviously us as the audience saw that. And we're kind of wondering, oh, well, that's clearly the guy, but how are they going to get to him? So I think this next One Piece arc is what I'll call it. This next One Piece arc for Dr. Stone is probably going to be really fun. There will be a little bit of conflict, I'm assuming, with the uh, the group, like Tsukasa's Empire and Senku's Empire, um, you know, just with discussions and seasickness. And there's probably going to be a lot of cool ocean facts that Senku's going to say, Um they're probably going to do a lot of like, oh, if you do this with salt water, you can actually drink it. And they're going to boil it and add some chemical to it or whatnot. I swear. I remember back when I was in Boy Scouts, the guide to safe scouting was talking about, uh, like, if you want to clean water, you should bleach it. I guarantee that if they're going to talk about that in, in Dr. Stone, they're just going to they're going to do some joke about like, wait a minute. Why are you drinking bleach? What are you doing? Guaranteed they're going to do something like that. Um but I'm excited to see where this arc's gonna gonna go, because clearly they're not gonna spend the entire season on the boat. Like, at least that's what I think. I think they're gonna spend maybe half of it on the boat, maybe a few episodes on the boat, because based off the pacing that we saw for season two, I don't think there's enough that can happen on the boats <clears throat> to make a full season about it, or even half of a season, maybe like two episodes at most. 
Um, unless something crazy happens on the ship, like they get attacked by another group of people. I don't know. Um, I am excited though. I don't know exactly when it's coming out. I'm pretty sure it's been announced or released. Probably 2022. That's what I'm just going to assume. It's probably going to come out like once a year. Uh, so definitely going to be keeping on the lookout for that. Cause I'm excited because this is a very enjoyable show and I wish I would see more people talking about it, but I think I just need to get involved in the right communities because man, this is one of the most enjoyable anime. I was talking about that with Jujutsu Kaisen when I did the ranter rave. And I think Jujutsu Kaisen is incredibly entertaining, but it's a different level of entertaining than Dr. Stone. Like, Jujutsu Kaisen is way more serious, even though it obviously has comedic relief. The overall storyline of it is way more serious, and it takes itself more seriously than Dr. Stone does, just based off of premise alone. So I'm excited to see where the next One Piece arc for Dr. Stone is going to take us. And with that being said, that's going to be all for the Dr. Stone Season 2 discussion. thought it was really good. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do more. More Senku. More Senku. And more Taiju, please. Alright, so the last segment that I'm going to be talking about today is another shorter rant or rave segment. And it's sort of a send-off for the last chapter of Attack on Titan. So as I had said, I talked about Attack on Titan last week <clears throat> in my rant or rave segment for this episode. But when I recorded it, the last chapter was still like three days away from actually releasing so i didn't want to wait to do that um rant or rave for the last one because i was going to be up um at my cabin this past weekend i didn't know exactly when i was kind of going to come back um but now i'm going to be talking about the last chapter of attack on titan for the last like 10 15 minutes or so first off i'm just going to say i think the ending for attack on titan was very fitting i really liked it as someone who started watching Attack on Titan only in like 2019, I think it was. I think I started watching it summer of 2019. Uh, as someone who only started watching it there and didn't start watching it when it came out in 2013. <clears throat> it felt like a very fitting end to the story. The main goal that Eren had throughout the entirety of Attack on Titan, it was what he said, like, end of episode one or beginning of episode or like midway through episode two, whatever, whenever he said it, he said, you know, I am going to kill every last Titan. And he said it with a strong conviction. It's like, yeah, he's going to do that. Kind of like when you watch Naruto and he's like, I'm going to become the Hokage and you're watching black Clover. And he says, I'm going to become the wizard King. You know, those are things that are going to come to fruition, but you just want to see the progression of how that's going to happen. And they could have gone the typical route of, oh, well, the big bad is going to be the Colossal Titan, or if we go off of season two and three, the Beast Titan. Uh, it could be that. But it wasn't. They could have just done another arc like the, the Shiganshina arc back in season three, part two. They could have done that, but they didn't. It progressed in such a crazy yet realistic way and I've seen a couple people talk about it. The progression of Attack on Titan is so good. And looking back on some of the things, it makes you go, how did I not notice that or think of that before? Because I'm thinking now, 
And I'm not sure if I'm just like, you know, not really remembering, uh, like memories or whatnot, but when they showed Ymir turning into a Titan, like that was a massive discovery. Like she turned into a Titan. That was the first time we saw anything about the outside world turning people into Titans. It was such a huge discovery, but no one knew anything at that point in the uh, in like the the release of the show. No one really knew anything about how uh, like the Titans came to be or what that could have even meant because <clears throat> the people were definitely dressed differently who took people. Well, of course, you know, looking back on it, those were Marleyans, but we didn't know that. We we didn't know like who they were. <clears throat> we just thought they were people on the island because we were led to believe that. There were only, the only humanity that existed was on this little island. And we didn't even know it was an island. But looking back on it, it's like, how could we not have put that together? But it's because none of the pieces of the puzzle were there. And I think a lot of that is still prevalent in season four. Season four is definitely a little bit more, sorry, I shouldn't say season four, but I should say the ending of the manga. Because there are still a lot of things that we don't know or didn't know at the time. That we just kind of had to speculate or understand. Um, kind of breaking off that idea, but going into the things that we didn't understand. We get some plot points that were brought up that we didn't really get direct answers to. But I think that's good because it leads us to a lot of speculation. Like, all of the Jaeger Titans having the elf ears, or like the devil ears... That's a plot point that that wasn't directly answered in the manga, saying like, oh, we have this because this. It was never answered. And there's a lot of theories as to saying why they do. It could be because the Jaeger family was the reason or was the way that humanity was going to win. The Titans were going to be released. Like every member of the Jaeger family had a huge role to play in that coming to fruition. Why their Titans specifically had that, I'm not sure. Because even in the manga, there was something a little weird. <clears throat> and maybe it was just because the way it was drawn or, like, my interpretation of it. But there was a scene where they showed Ymir's Titan, like, uh, you know, Ymir's jaw Titan, um, having elf ears or, like, the pointed ears. And I don't know if that was just me, like, looking too much into it or seeing it kind of weird, but I thought that was kind of interesting because there was a theory back saying that the reason why Aaron and Grisha and Zeke had the, the, the devil ears was because Ymir was secretly controlling them. The founder Ymir was secretly like controlling them the entire time and she put the, the ears on them. I don't know. It's probably likely because it was stated that Ymir, uh, the founder, creates all the titans inside of the paths. So it's very probable that she knew that Aaron was going to be the one to basically save her so they put that distinct feature onto each of the titans but none of that was explicitly answered there's also the the one that's personally my favorite point of speculation is uh is falco how he had the memory of the scouts and the titans when we first were introduced to him in the uh, the battle for fort slava because in the series, the only Titan that was ever able to have memories of the future was the Attack Titan. And we saw that with Kruger when he, when he had uh, the, the line about saving Mikasa and Armin. 
That was the only time we'd ever seen that. So it led a lot of people, myself included, to believe that Falco will somehow eat Aaron and receive the attack titan in some regards. Like, Falco might hold all of them and be, like, the founder, whatever. A lot of different ones. There were a lot of crazy theories that were out there about Falco, but none of them were explicitly answered in the manga. I think it probably has to do something with the fact that he became a titan shifter while having the jaw titan and also having the, uh, you know, the bit of Zeke's spinal fluid inside of him, which is technically part of the beast titan. And I think that also brings up an interesting point because when you, if you have multiple Titans, can you like see memories of all of them or something? Who knows? Because it was never stated the Beast Titan could see memories of the future, and the Beast Titan like wouldn't be flying around with swords. Uh, and the answer that probably is the most probable is uh, oh, he just saw the memories of Ymir like the jaw titan ymir when she was in the scouts but then again it was never stated that any other titan except for the attack titan could see memories from the future it was never stated you could only see memories from the past and at that point falco did not have the uh jaw titan power so it wouldn't make sense so <clears throat> my theory along with that uh is I think what happened is Falco was the key to getting the assault on Marley started, which allowed Aaron to come back to parody, which allowed Gabby and all of the things that happened to progress naturally. So I think because this is canon, I think what happened is Aaron sent memories specifically to Falco because he knew that Falco would be an important player to this event. And I think he did something to influence Falco to be on the battlefield that day, be saved, and see those memories. So in some regards, he would be the one to come back and help out Eren when he posed as Kruger to uh, sort of carry out the plan, if that makes sense. This sort of idea seems the most plausible to me just because based off of the canon that we know and that's been introduced in the entire manga, that's the only one that is actually true. If it was stated that, oh yeah, you can just see memories from the future for all Titans, then yeah, he would have seen Ymir's memories most likely. But since it was only stated that the Attack Titan can do that and he never got the Attack Titan nor the Beast Titan, he got like part of the Beast Titan... Um, but even at that, like the beast Titan wasn't stated to have that. I was thinking maybe like when Aaron and Zeke had a connection, there was something there and like the Zeke spinal fluid thing helped him remember that. But also it's like, that's kind of just random speculation at that point. That was like, how would it get sent back? Don't know really, but I do think that is one of the biggest points of speculation that I do love talking about. Um, but regardless, <clears throat> th those are those are some things that some might consider to be plot holes, but I think are more art artistic placements that are meant to have you continuously think about the series and what it is they're trying to say. But with everything, there are complaints that people had 
about the series. Uh, just they didn't really like it. Um, they thought the ending was bad, um, which I kind of understand because when the, the Korean scans came out, obviously I couldn't read the words. But some of the things that were played out in the summaries seemed a little bit odd. Like, wait, what? That's what they what? OK. Um, but once the official translated version came out, I read it and it made a lot more sense and I liked it a lot. Uh, the complaints, I don't think, are invalid because obviously every complaint is valid to a certain degree. But I think we have to look at it in like the story that was trying to be told. The idea of like this cycle of hatred is in some regards over because they still said that there's like they're going to war with people like for the sake of LDL, which I think I don't I think is kind of weird in my opinion. Like I, I don't think that like besmirches everything Aaron was trying to do, but it kind of seems a little bit odd that it's like they're still fighting because it doesn't obviously seem like a happy ending. Um but Aaron's goal was to kill all the Titans, and he did. There are no more Titans. There are only humans. Eldians cannot turn into Titans anymore, um, which is exactly what his goal was. He had to sacrifice himself in order to do that. Um, John became a strong leader. You know, he even made the joke about, oh, when all the, the pretty school girls are going to read about me in the history books or whatnot, like, he's a leader. He is going to be studied in the future. Uh, Levi saved humanity. And he is the epitome of a broken, fallen soldier. Like, he can't fight anymore. And there is no more fight to be fought for him, you know? And I think that's very fitting for his arc. His panel at the end, I don't usually cry during manga, but I I did shed a, a couple tears during that scene because it was, it was very good when he saw the past of, uh, of like, Ervin, Hanji, Mike, all of them. Just, like, all of the people that helped humanity get to the point that it was today and levi being like the sole survivor of that existing world and i think it's very beautiful how that was handled and really shows the cost of saving humanity um <clears throat> mikasa lived a cruel but beautiful life and it had a great ending you know she loved Aaron, but Aaron always had to keep pushing forward he didn't have the time to regress and come back um to start a life to to start a love life with mikasa he didn't have that luxury um which fits both of their characters um armin became the savior of humanity just like aaron said in season three part two he said ervin isn't gonna save humanity and neither am i armin is going to be the one to save humanity and he did and i think it wraps up everyone's character arcs beautifully because even when we get, we, we extend it to like Reiner. Reiner wanted to die because he wanted to be free of the curse and the pain and the hatred. But he was freed of the curse. And now he can live a full life. He can start over in a sense because he's only like 19 years old. He's only like 20 years old or something like that. So he can start over. He can have a new life from that point out. Um, even if he's still simping over Historia's writing, which, okay, that's probably my biggest complaint is I think that's probably the dumbest thing that was in this final chapter. I think it was funny, but it was like, really? After everything that you just did for Reiner's character, you reduced him to like smelling Historia's handwriting. I don't know. Maybe in the anime, once they animate it, it'll look less creepy and more kind of like a, oh, this kind of smells like Historia. That's nice. Instead of like, oh my God, smell her handwriting. Cause it seemed a little bit weird. Uh, 
but it presented closure for a lot of characters. And, and I do think that Isayama deserves a lot of praise for that, for the story that he created and the characters, because Attack on Titan will go down in sort of anime manga history as some of the best written characters and the most consistently well-written characters in the genre. And, and I do think that he, he definitely does deserve the praise for that with strong female representation, um, LGBTQ plus representation. I mean, with Historia and Ymir, um, he just did a lot of good writing for, especially with the characters, like the characters are, you can pick really any character and, and make an argument as to why they're an incredible character. You, you really can. And they, they, they have moments to go along with that, which was really good. Overall, I think this was a very fitting end for Attack on Titan. I think it was nice. We saw the human side of Eren because he was like this stone-cold character through Season 4 and up until that point in the manga. But he knew he had to do all of these things to save his friends. Albeit, Sasha was the only one who ultimately ended up dying. Um, but that's because he couldn't account for... Uh, <clears throat> couldn't account for Gabby. But... Ultimately, he, he saved all of his friends that he could, and that's the life that he wanted to live, and that's that's exactly what the point of Attack on Titan was supposed to be, in my opinion. So nonetheless, the Attack on Titan is over now. It's kind of crazy to think. Uh, the anime will be starting, the season four part two is going to be starting, I think it's like December of this year or like beginning of next year. And we'll probably finish around the same time, like right around like March-ish, beginning of April somewhat. And I can't wait for that to be animated because it's going to be phenomenal. It's actually going to break the internet. Like everyone was saying every episode of Attack on Titan was going to break the internet. But no, the very last episode of Attack on Titan, especially the episode where they show Eren's founding Titan, that it will break the internet. Like it, it will be trending on Twitter for a very long time. But regardless... That is going to be all for this week's episode. Thank you all for stopping by and listening to my discussions about anime and whatnot. Uh, I, cer I certainly do enjoy talking about it. Um, I'm watching Wonder Egg Priority right now. I'm going to try to finish it for next week and I'll do a rant or rave about that because I've only watched two episodes so far, but I do enjoy it. I think it's a pretty good show. So stay tuned for that. But I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for listening.